We start with coaching news. USC coach Clay Helton was fired on Monday after going 46 and 24 in his six seasons as the Trojans head coach. The decision comes just two days after USC, who had conference title aspirations, was embarrassed at home in a loss to Stanford. Helton went 20 and 4 with Sam Darnold as the starting quarterback. That was 2016 to 17. However, the Trojans went 20 and 16 with any other starting quarterback since the year 2016. He also has a losing record against ranked opponents, including four and nine in ranked matchups. Here's the athletic director, Mike Bohm. I think we've made some nice progress in the time that Clay and I have worked together. I enjoyed working with Clay. He is an incredible uh, person, and uh, we did some neat things. But again, I think that uh, you know we're committed to winning national championships, and uh, we believe that in order to do that, a, that a change was uh, was needed. In a note to his Trojan family, Clay Helton said, in part, on behalf of my family, I want to express my sincere appreciation for the opportunity of a lifetime to serve as your head football coach at USC. I'm so appreciative for all the hard work that our current staff and student athletes have put into preparing for this season. And while it will be hard to not be in the fight with you, I am confident that great things lie ahead. Happy to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon with Greg McElroy and Joey Galloway. I'm Wendy Nix. And Greg, I'll start with you. Look, you know, this was rumored and whispered for quite some time. Having said that, you know, you don't know who's waiting in the wings. Why make this decision now? Well, I think it was getting to the point where they just couldn't go on any longer because there had been so many opportunities that had been afforded Clay Helton, and it felt as though he was already in a lame duck situation. It felt like we knew where this was eventually going to go. Why don't we just cut to the chase? And that way they spare themselves the possibility of Clay Helton getting things back on track, going, say, 10-2, and 9-3, and three, and restoring the goodwill of what might not be best for the long-term health of the program. So I think it was the right decision at this moment. It's good for Clay Helton. He can jumpstart what he wants to do next. And I think it's good for USC to have clarity as to the direction they want to head, Joey. I, I don't know that this provides clarity. This is the same conversation we've been having about Clay Helton for the past couple years. And every offseason, we go to a place where will Clay Helton be the coach? And Greg, and I know that you've paid attention to it. Everybody that's paid attention to college football has been waiting on this day. So why does it happen in the middle of a season? I don't know who this helps because Clay Helton can't do anything at this time. And now this, the players on this team have to make an adjustment to a new coach in the middle of a season. I don't like this move when it happened. I understand the move of replacing Clay Helton, just not the timing of the move in the middle of a season. And I, I think that's fair, Joey, and it begs the question, you know, what is next? And, Greg, there's the list of candidates, a lot of names that we see pop up time and time again. But... I don't know if you necessarily say who works in this. What works? What will work in this situation for USC? Yeah, and the, the, the candidates are obvious. It's always the same group, right? Fickle, Campbell, Stoops, Peterson, you name it. I would actually go a little bit off the grid, and I would aim, being the fact that I am a top five job in college football, I would aim for guys that most other programs wouldn't even get a return call from. I'm going to go with Brian Kelly would be my first phone call at Notre Dame. Look, Brian Kelly this weekend could tie Newt Rockney as the winningest coach in the history 
of Notre Dame football. That's remarkable when you think of what he's accomplished there in South Bend, but one thing they haven't been able to do is get over the hump. Does that mean he can get over the hump at Notre Dame? Potentially. Does it mean he could get over the hump potentially at USC? Yes. But I think we all would agree, Joey, and I'd love to get your take on this. I actually think that it's easier to get over the hump at USC than it is at Notre Dame because they're less stringent academic requirements for admissions for some of your players. So I think USC, if I'm them, I'm shooting for the stars. And the first star I'd call would be Brian Kelly. Well, Greg, you must have ran out of boxes because why not add Urban Meyer to that list? Which, if we're just going to start throwing names at this thing, throw them all in there. Brian Kelly is one. You surprised me with that one. I don't know that it's easier to get over the hump at USC right now. I think that that program has fallen to a place that is not right on the cusp of being in that next elite level. Now, they've been elite from a standpoint of their skill position athletes. Uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They've had some terrific, terrific wide receivers. Um, but I don't, it, it doesn't seem as if from a big guy standpoint, uh, offensive line, defensive line, uh, that front seven on the defensive side, they don't seem to be at that same level. Brian Kelly's had terrific success at Notre Dame. And I see what you're saying as far as the long term. Can he get over the hump um, at a USC I don't know that USC still carries the same respect across the country as it carried at one point in time, Greg. When, when, when we were younger, uh, USC was a name that, that carried a lot of respect. I don't know if it's there anymore. Yeah, and you referenced Urban Meyer. My question, though, with NIL, with Transfer Portal, with the challenges of trying to get your roster ready to go, the NFL lifestyle, and talk to anybody in the coaching profession, Joey, the NFL lifestyle is not one that a lot of guys are going to walk away from in an effort to get back to college. Now, Urban Meyer might be the, might be the rare example, and sure, I'd absolutely reach out to his representation, but I think it's very <laughs> unlikely knowing that he's only in year number one in Jacksonville, and he has a pretty cush gig with, the, with really the relationship that he has has with the owner Shad Khan there in Jacksonville. Well, let's go back to Joey's point that perhaps USC doesn't have the same cachet. It certainly did at one point. We know that, including vacated games. The Trojans won at least 10 in seven consecutive seasons under a guy named Pete Carroll, speaking of the NFL lifestyle. They've done that just four times in the 11 full seasons following his departure. USC also has only one Rose Bowl appearance during that span. We switch gears, though, because it's time now for this week's ultimate performance presented by BMW. Who else? Number 11, Oregon. Stunned two-touchdown favorite. That was number three, Ohio State. They took advantage of the Buckeyes' shaky run defense, and the Ducks finished with 269 yards on the ground, 505 yards overall. Here's Ryan Day. It's not just a, a single game. Uh, it's a little bit of a pattern. If you look at the results over the last couple games and then coming off of last year, you know, it's not it's not what we expect here. It's not our expectations. And so, I mean, that's all part of looking at, you know, how we need to move uh, forward with this thing. Well, Joey, you don't have to be a fortune teller here to read between the lines. There's clearly going to be some changes on, on the defensive side of the ball for the Buckeyes. What do you anticipate uh, to come? Um, it, it's hard to watch a team – uh, not be physical at the point of attack. And so I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know what you do about that. 
they're not disruptive up front. And so when you look at the Minnesota game and the Oregon game and those two teams' ability to run the football, and Greg, you know this, if you can run the football, you can also pass the football. And, and the, the connection between the ability to do those two things has showed up in, especially in the Oregon game, if you've seen the play action pass for the touchdown tight ends wide open, it's because they had 270 yards rushing. So the linebackers, the safeties are all reacting to the run game. So it starts up front for Ohio State in that front seven. Can they start to make plays there and become disruptive? As we look across college football, and there's two teams that have separated themselves, and that's Georgia and Alabama, and that's because of their ability to be disruptive up front. We haven't seen that out of the Buckeyes uh, through two games. So I don't know what kind of changes you make in that area that says, okay, now we can be more physical, more disruptive, and stop these offenses from, from running the football. Yeah, Joey, these things don't resolve themselves overnight. They can say, well, we're going to look at everything. They expect wholesale changes. Well, you're not going to change who you are, at least not at this point. You have to wait a little while, at least get to a bye week, before you can really focus internally and make some adjustments to what you need to do. You referenced being disruptive on the defensive line. While I completely agree with you, there's not a Bosa walking off that bus. There's not a Chase Young walking off that bus. Their personnel is not going to all of a sudden hit puberty and become grown men on the field. It's not going to happen. What they need to do is they need to be more fundamental mentally sound along the defensive side of the football. There were about five or six different occasions on Saturday against Oregon in which defensive players were outflanked and they didn't keep leverage. I mean, it was unbelievable to watch how many guys just ran down inside and sure enough, out goes a duck right around the evaded uh, Ohio State player. And then internally, they didn't do a good job of fitting the run. If you can't do those two things, you have no chance in the Big Ten of playing sound defense. Michigan will gash you. Penn State will gash you. Wisconsin will gash you. Iowa will gash you. And several other teams will too if they don't get things figured out soon. Well, and it sounded like Ryan Day was losing patience. As you heard him say, it wasn't just one instance, but a bit of a pattern. So uh, some changes likely expected in Columbus. Still to come on College Football Live, the season just a few weeks old. However, quarterback carousel already starting to turn. We'll examine the changes or the lack thereof when we come back. And go ahead. Here we go again. Tell me I'm wrong. Some of the early season takeaways from a second wild week of college football. That's coming up. College Football Live is brought to you by Dish or No. It's not delivery, it's Dish or No. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian said on Monday that Casey Thompson will replace Hudson Card as the Longhorns starting quarterback. Both quarterbacks expected to continue to play. He said, though, he thought it was fair to Thompson to let him get the start against Rice. Both guys have been battling. Both guys have been keep competing. 
I think it'll be good for Hudson to take a little bit of a deep breath coming off of last week's game. And it'll be a great opportunity for, uh, for Casey to step in and, uh, and battle and compete with the ones early on in the ball game. Greg, does this make sense to you? I mean, it's not a, a huge change. I know they're changing the starting quarterback, but both are still expected to play. Yeah, and I think it's probably the right approach. Look, you gave Hudson Card two opportunities to be the starter. Now let's see what Casey Thompson could do. And if you look at how Hudson Card performed against Arkansas, he wasn't very good. And he also, I thought, showed a little bit of immaturity to a certain extent, meaning he didn't have the poise that you would like to see from your starting quarterback on the road. Granted, first time he's ever been in an environment like that, so I can't say it's that unreasonable, but Casey Thompson came in off the bench, provided a bit of a spark, and the offense played much better and more consistently with him at the helm. So I agree with Sark to go with this move at this point, but still evaluate the situation, keep it fluid, and maybe throughout the course of this season at least, ride the hot hand depending on who's playing better that day. Yeah, it makes sense. Listen, this was a quarterback competition all throughout camp, so it went it went up to the wire. Uh, a place where they are not making a quarterback change, that would be Florida. Florida head coach Dan Mullen said he is sticking with his quarterback, Emory Jones, his starting quarterback, a second straight game with two interceptions. Now, this is despite the freshman quarterback, Anthony Richardson, who has looked impressive in his role as a backup, but sometimes that happens. Joey, you agree with this decision to stick with Emory Jones? Um, I agree with everything Greg just said. You can probably apply it to this situation. Uh, you know, th this has been a process uh, for these coaches and these teams to decide who their starting quarterback is. And, and I don't know that you look at a game against USF, who is, is not very good, and make any kind of uh, coaching quarterback decisions based on what happened in that particular game. And you mentioned the two interceptions, two straight games. That is a problem that needs to be cleaned up. But I believe both guys will play in this game. And, and I don't know that it necessarily matters uh, who is the person that runs out there uh, when this game begins. They're going against Alabama. They're going to need every single player on that sideline to chip in and help them win this game. So this doesn't surprise me at all. And, and I don't think he's wrong because I think both quarterbacks will play. It makes sense. They're going to they're gonna need all hands on deck. There is one other quarterback note uh, to pass along, and that is Texas A&M quarterback Haynes King out with an injury now. It's uh, the crack in his lower leg. He is expected to be out four to seven weeks. This, according to our Chris Lowe, sophomore Zach Calzada will replace the former starting back uh, quarterback King. Time now for your favorite game and mine, maybe. Tell me I'm wrong. Mark Slayball has an article out right now on ESPN.com regarding a reality check for college football after week two. Mark joins us now to play, Mark. And you know what? We're going to let you tell me I'm wrong. And I will start with this. The Big 12, Mark, is still Oklahoma or bust. Tell me I'm wrong. I think you're right, Wendy. Um, we don't think it's Iowa State, uh, despite bringing despite bringing everybody back. They still hadn't figured out how to beat Iowa, which won their sixth straight game in the Cyhawks series. And we know it's not Texas after a 20-point win over Louisiana in Week One. I think there are a lot of those Texas X's out there that almost starting to whisper, "We're back," and they got a huge dose of reality last week, getting pummeled on the road at Arkansas, which just completely manhandled them. I went back and looked at the NFL draft figures, Wendy's. Wendy, since 2008, Texas has had three offensive linemen drafted. 
Vanderbilt, which has been in the cellar of the SEC for quite a while, has had twice as many drafted as Texas. So clearly Steve Sarkeesian and his staff have to get better in the trenches before they make the jump to the SEC. Uh, no question. That euphoria was short-lived. There's no question about that after the week one win. All right, we move on to Michigan. Michigan's 2-0 start mark is fool's gold. Right or wrong? I think you. I, I, I think you could go. I really think you could go either way on that one. I think it's fool's gold to believe that Michigan is going to beat Ohio State just because Ohio State lost to Oregon at home last week. That hasn't happened in the last nine years, and, and I think Ohio State has got a long way to go in getting better on defense, but has plenty of time to do it. Uh, Ryan Day, the Buckeyes coach, came out on Tuesday and said he's going to have wholesale changes on defense. His, that unit has just been ravaged by Alabama. Uh, Minnesota uh, and Oregon in the last three games. He wouldn't go as far as saying that he's going to replace uh, defensive coordinator Kerry Coombs, but certainly he's under a lot of pressure. Michigan's look good. They're tougher. They're more physical. They've been disciplined. Uh, hopefully get a little bit better of a, uh, a, a fight against uh, Nebraska this week. But uh, offensively, I think they've still got a ways to go. They'll take it in Ann Arbor, at least right now. Uh, also, uh, so far, so good between the hedges. But I'll say this. Is it possible it might not matter who the Georgia quarterback is? Tell me I'm wrong, Mark. I think you're right once again. I think if that Georgia defense keeps playing the way it has played in the first two games, you or I could line up under center and the Bulldogs would have a chance. That <laughs> defensive line is deep, physical, and really, really salty. He hasn't given up a defensive touchdown Yet this season, uh, JT Daniels still questionable for Saturday night's game against South Carolina with an oblique injury. Stetson Bennett, the fourth, the mailman, came back in last week, threw for five touchdowns in the first half. So at least Kirby Smart knows if Daniels can't go, he has a more than uh, capable backup waiting in the wings. I like playing this game better with you. They told me I was wrong every time last week. So you, you come back and we'll play again. I also want to make sure everybody sees that article out now on ESPN.com. Mark, thank you. Two weeks, two heartbreaking losses. Find out why Mike Norvell says his team will not give up the season when we come back. Number 22, Auburn, takes on top-ranked, 10th-ranked Nittany Lions in their annual whiteout game. Catch Reese Kirk, Dez, and David Plus, of course, Coach Corso's headgear prediction that's starting at 9 a.m. on Saturday. And then Saturday night, where else? Presented by Capital One, the annual whiteout game in Happy Valley. Number 22, Auburn, takes on number 10, Penn State, as I mentioned. 7.30 Eastern, 4.30 Pacific on ABC, and, of course, the ESPN app. Now let's take a look at this week's college football rankings brought to you by Chick-fil-A. Oregon, of course, on the move. Number four in this week's poll, the highest ranking for a Pac-12 school since USC in 2017. Iowa in the top five for the first time since climbing to number four. That was back in 2015. You may have missed it, but if you did, with six seconds on the clock, Jacksonville State shocked Florida State Saturday. The walk-off Hail Mary. They lost in overtime last week to Notre Dame. That means they start their season 0-2 after a second straight heartbreaker. Here's the head coach. This football team's not going to quit. And, you know, when it 
from all the things that, that, that have happened and the examples that we get to point back to in this last game. Right? We have to build and get better, and we're going to. And this will, this will be something that we look back to. Right? Nobody wants to have the experience. Nobody wants to have the feelings. But it's our opportunity to respond to it, and it's our opportunity to go get better. So I, last night, we didn't, we didn't just sit out there and, and, and drag our heads around. Was anybody happy? No. Everybody's sick to their freaking stomach about what happened Saturday night. But you go back out and you go to work. Thin margin here in both these games. Nevertheless, they went the way they did. They're off to an 0-2 start. Do you still believe in this Seminoles team? Uh, we're going to learn a lot this week, but yes. I think there's things to look at this team and, and feel somewhat positive about. Now, last week was an embarrassingly bad performance. They have to respect the opposition regardless of what level the opposition plays at. And granted, yes, FCS should never lose to an FCS team. Your Florida State. However, in week one, Joey, I thought they did a pretty dang good job against a solid offensive and defensive line for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And I think that's been the biggest point of, of concern for me is that line of scrimmage. So I'm still cautiously optimistic in a down ACC. Florida State can make a little bit of noise throughout the rest of the season. <laughs> it's very kind of you, Greg. Um, I, I don't know that I'm with you there. I don't think they're as bad as they played on Saturday to lose to Jacksonville State. I don't. I think if these two teams played ten times, Florida State probably wins nine of them. And if they figure out how to play prevent defense at the end of a football game, uh, they might win that one. But I don't know that there's enough there that I feel good about. They have to start finishing some of these games and find a way to win games because then that's when your players start to feel better about what you're doing. And until you do that, then you just have a nasty taste in your mouth, especially when you go and lose these kind of games. Now, Greg, before we go, look, we showed you those top five rankings. Uh, do you think we have a shakeup again after, after this week or will we be looking at the same situation come Monday? I think shock will fly this week. We'll see. Shock will fly. You heard it here. We'll be back to talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. College Football Live 430 on ESPN2. We'll see you then.